0: Okay, well, uh, happy to see everybody out tonight, and invite you to get your Bibles and open to the book of John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11. We're going to begin there as we introduce our study here and uh, reading the story of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, or excuse me, Lazarus uh, rising from the dead. And uh, anyway, we'll just sort of look at the text, and there's one verse in particular that we're going to pick out, and uh, it'll be the basis of our study. It says in verse 1 of John, the 11th chapter, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and and her sister Martha. It was also that Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus, and when he heard thereof that, there was, that, they, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that uh, he said to his disciples, let us go uh, into Judea again. His disciples said to him, Teacher, the, the Jews have sought to stone you and go you there again. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? And if any man walks in the day, he stumbles not, because he sees the light of the world. But if a man walks in the night, he stumbles, because there is no light in him. These things said he, that after he, uh, and after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he shall do well. However, Jesus uh, spoke of his death, but they thought he spoke of taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, "Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that you may believe." Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, who was called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, "Let us let us also go, that we may die with him." Then when Jesus uh, then when Jesus came, he found. Uh, and he found that he had laid in the that he had laid in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was near unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs, about two miles. And many of the Jews came to Martha and to Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that what's uh, that I know? But I know that even now, whatsoever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus said unto her, "Your brother shall rise again." Martha said unto him, "I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day." And Jesus said unto her, "I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this?" And she said to him, "Lord, I believe that you are the Son that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who should come into the world." And when she had so uh, so said, she went unto uh, she went uh, went her way and called Mary, her sister secretly saying, "The teacher is come and calls for you." And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. The Jew, uh, the Jews, then who were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily, that is, quickly, went out. followed her, saying, She goes unto the grave to weep there. Then, when Mary came, uh, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews weeping, uh, also weeping who came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, who opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore, uh, again groaning in himself, came to the grave, and it was a cave and a stone laid upon it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone, Martha, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, this time he stinks, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto you, that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And they took the stone away from the place where the dead lay. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank that you have heard me. And I knew that you hear me always. But because of this people who stand by, I said it that they may believe uh, that you have sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave cloth. And his face was was bound, uh, bound about with a cloth. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. And many of the Jews who came to Mary and had seen these things, which Jesus did, believed on him. Well, the resurrection of Lazarus from death—just, just, just really—it's one of the great stories of the of the New Testament, just full of all kinds of of great concepts. But in particular, we want to look at verse thirty-five, which, by the way, is the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus wept, and we want to talk about that phrase, "Jesus wept," and just develop our lesson about what happened here in the context of the of the shortest verse of the Bible. Jesus wept. All right, first off, Jesus swept. The first point that we want to talk about, well, how, how do you interpret that when you read the Bible? Jesus wept. How, how do you interpret that? I mean, do we look at that verse? Uh, do we, like, scratch our head? We don't know. I mean, you know, when we talk with some of our, our religious friends and neighbors and family members kind of about the Bible, they say things like, well, you know, we, we can't really understand the Bible or that we can't really interpret correctly, or, or we'll read something, and, well, that's just your interpretation, and, you know, we just can't see things eyeball to eyeball, and we really can't understand it, and we're not going to understand it the same way. Well, how would we look at John 11, verse 35? It's a great illustration of the error that is taught when people say you can't interpret the Bible. How would you interpret that? Would you think that Jesus was like, oh, he was like amazed about something, just standing in awe? No. Would we think that he was laughing? Well, no. Would we think that he is like, just kind of let out a sigh? Well, no. I mean, was he like scared of something? Like he was in terror? No. When we read Jesus wept, he was crying. We would all understand that Jesus was crying. When it said Jesus wept, he was crying, he was shedding tears. Everybody. We would understand and interpret that verse, Jesus wept, and we would all understand it and comprehend it and interpret it that Jesus was crying and illustrates that we can understand the Bible and also illustrates that we can understand the Bible alike. And not only can we understand and interpret John 11, verse 35 the same and come to the same conclusion, but there are a lot of other verses we are going to come to the same conclusion if we look, of course, with honesty and integrity at the word of the Lord. Jesus wept. Of course, he was crying. That's what happened there. Something else when we think about this phrase, Jesus wept, it represents the human side of Jesus. Because when you talk about crying and tears falling, it's related to eyeballs. Tears comes from the eyes, and of course that ultimately comes from within. But Jesus has a human side. When Jesus wept, it says that he has a human side. Over in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer talks about the Messiah, that when he came, he took upon a body, and that is made like the uh, children of uh, uh, the children of Abraham, to the Jews, to, to human beings. It says, so "Verily, he took not upon him the nature of angels, but he took on him the nature of Abraham. That is, he was born a Jew. He was just a human being. Therefore, in all things." He had to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God and to make re- reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to help them that are tempted. Jesus had a tabernacle of flesh. There was the human side of Jesus. There in John chapter 4, John chapter 4, not only the fact that Jesus had the, the capacity to cry and shed tears, showing his human, uh, human side. We look there in John chapter 4, we see other evidence that he was in a body like we have. Now, Jacob's well was there, it says in John 4, and verse 6, Jesus therefore being weary. Wait a minute, Jesus tired? You know, you read Isaiah chapter 4, it talks about God doesn't get tired. But here we see that Jesus tired. That's related to his body. He was a tabernacle of flesh, his humanity. He was tired, being wearied with the journey, Sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour, which would be about 12 noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. Well, why are you asking for a drink of water unless you're thirsty? So he's tired. He's thirsty. Again, that's a human attribute, a bodily attribute, being thirsty. Verse 8 says, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy food. Why do you buy food? Well, you buy food to eat. Because people get hungry, it's around lunchtime, so here he is, he's tired, he's thirsty, he's hungry, all that represents and shows that he, of course, in a tabernacle of flesh. He had a body just like we do, he was made like unto us, but yet there was the divine side. There in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, that is the Word, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 2 and verse 9. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Yeah, He was in a body, but it was the fullness of the Godhead in that tabernacle of flesh. And then there in the book of Philippians chapter 2, notice there in verses 5 and 6. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God it not a, uh, a thing to be grasped to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Now, when it says that he was in the form of God, that word form means the exact nature of. He had the exact nature of God because he was deity. And he, he didn't look at it. Well, you know, well, if I'm going to go to earth. You know, I've got to go as deity. You know, no, I, he's got to cling to all the manifestation of glory that deity intrinsically has and, and should be uh, worshipped, etc. No, it was clothed in a tabernacle of flesh. And when people looked at him, they thought they were just looking at a mere man. But he was more than a mere man. He was man, but he was also God. He was he was God in the flesh. So yeah, when Jesus swept it says that he has a human side and therefore he understands because he lived on planet earth just like we do and he suffered the things that we suffer in this world something else when you think about the phrase the shortest version of the bible jesus wept and that is there's nothing wrong with tears nothing wrong with crying sometimes you will hear and i've heard it plenty of times that well really uh you know big boys don't cry you know you shouldn't be crying that somehow, that, that, that if you, that you cry, that that's a manifestation of weakness, that somehow that's uh, unmanly, that's uncomely, of uh, shedding tears. But that's not so. Jesus was shedding tears, and he was the perfect man. And the Bible talks about that, that tears is a part of life. In the book of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon talks about there's a time and place for everything, He says, there's a time to weep, shed tears, and a time to laugh, to be happy. A time to mourn, and to be sad, and a time to dance. That is a happy dance, is the contrast. And so tears, nothing wrong with that. You think about some of the great men of old, people of the Bible. You think about Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 9, Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah has been called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah, it says of him, and his statement there in chapter 9 verse 1 all oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that i might weep that i might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people now nothing wrong with tears we see jeremiah crying we see jesus crying look there in acts chapter 20 and verse 31 and we have paul talking one of the great Christians of the first century, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one of you, uh, every one of you, night and day, with what, with tears? Paul shed many a tear. And then you look down at the end of the chapter when Paul was meeting with the elders and he tells them, you know, well, I'm not going to see you anymore. And I thought, well, this is it. When, when, when they part ways, they would never see Paul again in person. And it says in verse 37, Then they all wept much and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Yeah, they shed tears. Tears is like a, it's kind of like a pressure cooker. And you know, you, 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 you cook with a pressure cooker because increasing the pressure, you increase the, uh, the temperature of the food that you're cooking. But pressure cookers, unless they have that little jiggle thing, you know, to control the pressure, it would then become a bomb. It would get so hot, it could just explode. And so you have that little jiggle. And it sort of releases some of the pressure unless it gets too big. And I think tears are kind of like that for human beings. Sometimes we, we, we face so, uh, some very difficult, very heartbreaking things. And tears is just sort of like, a, kind of like that pressure cooker. It just sort of releases some of the emotional tension that, that builds up with inside. And that we can sort of release those things with tears. And then there in the book of Acts chapter 21, Acts chapter 21 verse 13. Then Paul answered, answered, what mean you to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound but also to die at Jerusalem uh, for the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Psalm 6 and verse 6. I am weary with my groaning, David says, all the night make my bed wet with tears and my couch." Uh, With my tears. So when we think about Jesus wept, well, we realize that nothing wrong with tears. We understand that there was the human side of Jesus. And we understand that, yeah, we can interpret the Bible. It's possible. We can understand the Bible. We can understand life. But think about that phrase, Jesus wept. Something else that we learn. And that is, well, why did he burst in tears? Well, what caused him to burst in tears? If you go back there into John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. The next verse says, Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. Their, their, their assumption was that he had such tremendous love for Lazarus, and that's why he burst in tears. Well, that would certainly be a logical conclusion. But I don't think, and he did have a lot of love for Lazarus, like he did Mary and Mary and Martha, I don't think that was the real reason. I think the Jews, looking at the situation, that's what they thought, but I don't think so. Let me, let me back up and explain why I think there was really something else that was going on here. If you look back there in verse 33 and verse 34, in verses 33 and 34, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, who came with her, he groaned in his spirit. It was trouble. He, he was looking at these people just crying. And it, it, it moved him. It, it touched him. I think that really is what, 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 what caused him to, to weep. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. You. And then notice also back there in verse 4, back there in John chapter 11. Notice there in verse 4, he, uh, he, uh, when they talked about Lazarus being sick. It says, "The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And then drop down there in number 11. In number 11, these things said he, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. And then in verse 15, after saying in verse 14 that Lazarus is dead, I am glad for your sake that I uh, I was not there, to the intent that you may believe, nevertheless let us go unto him. Jesus had full intention of la- raising Lazarus from the dead. So, so so, why, knowing that he's going to raise him from the dead, that was his intention, he was glad that he didn't get there, and that the glory of God might be manifest, etc., why would you cry when you know that, hey, here in just a few moments, he's going to be raised from the dead? And I think it was over Lazarus. I'm persuaded it is because of, of, of these sisters weeping and the Jews weeping. It just... He just touched his heart. I think it was human compassion that he feels compassion, that he feels mercy, that he feels sympathy of what he is experiencing here, of what's happening, even though he knows he's going to raise him from the dead here just in just a little bit. It reminds you what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. I think Jesus was just weeping with those that wept. I think that was the reason. He just, he just seen that, that here, here they, they, were, they were so hurt. They, they were in such pain and agony that it just caused him to hurt and weep with them. And as we look there in Hebrews chapter 2, that he takes upon the nature of human beings and not the natures of of men. Therefore, in all things, uh, he had to become like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. That is, that he could kind of like relate with people. And in verse 18, for he himself has suffered being tempted that he is able to succor them or to help them that are tempted. Why did he burst into these tears? Because of his compassion. We sometimes sing a song. Does Jesus care? The answer is absolutely he cares. You look at what was happening here with the death of Lazarus. And he's looking at these sisters. And he's looking at these Jews. And the pain they're in. And he he weeps. That is because of the fact that. The fact is that he had compassion. And he does care. He does care for what befalls us in this world. And that's comforting to know, that we have a Savior that that understands and a Savior that cares, and that he's there to offer and render assistance. Something else we think about, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, another lesson that comes to mind, and that is he has the power to help. You know, sometimes we can be in situations and, you know, I mean, we, we show empathy, we, we show sympathy, we weep with those that weep. Really, we can't do anything. We might pray for people, might offer some sort of assistance, but ultimately we, we have limitations because we're just mere human beings. But Jesus wept because he does care, but Jesus also has the power to help. And that's, that's a tremendous lesson to think about. In, uh, back in John chapter 11, look at it once again. And so they, they come to the tomb, and Jesus says, take away the stone. He doesn't do things that we can do for ourselves. He tells them to take away the stone. I mean, he could have jumped in and said, well, okay, let me, hold on, let me, let me move the stone out of the way. No, they could do that, and so he, he's going to let them do that. And, of course, uh, uh, Martha speaks up. Well, you know, rigor mortis probably set in. He's probably stinking now. The body's de- decomposing, et cetera. And then Jesus said, Said I not unto you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they take away the stone. And Jesus lifts up his eyes. And he prays to the Father. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you hear me always. But because of the people who stand by, I said it. That they may believe uh, that you have sent him. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. No. He says it with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And boom, he comes forth. Now, by the way, there's an interesting lesson there. Side note lesson. Sometimes people say, ah, there's nothing in the name, nothing in the name. Well, wait a minute. If Jesus said, come forth, then everybody in the tomb would have come forth. But he used the name Lazarus to be specific because there is something in the name. And that's the one that he was going to raise from the dead. And he says with his loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. And that's what it says there in verse four, verse 44. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave cloths. They sort of wrap the bodies up. We don't do that. We just sort of, the mortician fixes them up in the in the coffin. and Oh, you know, wait put but the, the lid down sometimes they got a little uh, mechanism to kind of screw it down, attach and hold it down etc. We don't wrap them up in, in cloth like, like they did there in the first century and so here he comes all wrapped up and he comes walking out and so he tells them loose him and let him go yeah, that's something they could do I mean, Jesus could have hopped over there and did that but he let them take care of that but the things that we can't take care of, well we trust in the Lord and let God take care of that part And so it is that just as Jesus manifested the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, it is the assurance that he has the power to raise us all from the dead. If he can do one, well, he can do do a million, he can do a billion. Of course, if he has that power, he demonstrates the power to raise from the dead. And so we look there in John chapter 11, verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yeah, I hope we believe. And trusting in Jesus. Why do we come here? Well, I come here to worship the creator. Because I'm putting my hope, I'm putting my future in the fact that he's going to have the power to raise me from the dead someday. And grant to me eternal life. I didn't believe that, well, why would I come here? It would be a big, big waste of time. Just be be useless. Why Why spend time uh, uh, studying and singing and giving and all the things that we do? Why waste our gas driving here if, if it's all going to be for naught? If Jesus doesn't have the power to raise us from the dead like he promises. If he doesn't have the power to give us eternal life, why? Well, there wouldn't be any need. Be a big waste of time. Now, a lot of people, they look at it and they think, you know, we're just a bunch of losers. And that we're just wasting our time. But if we believe that he has the power to raise from the dead, raise us from the dead, well, watch why we come. Because we're trusting in the Lord Jesus. There in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel." And with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be called together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Do we trust that? Do we believe that? I mean, that's what Jesus was telling, telling the sisters. If you'll believe, you're going to see the glory of God. Do we believe and trust in the resurrection of the just? Well, I hope we do. He has the power to raise us from the dead. And to transform us if we do happen to be alive when Christ comes again. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. we got to trust in the Lord. Put our trust and confidence in him. He has the power to help. He has the power to help both now and eternity. we got to believe that. And we can believe that. We should believe that. We see evidence of that. You just study through the scriptures and you see how God helped people in various situations, in various ways. And the power of God manifested in the lives of, of the saints, of the people of God, both through the Old Testament, patriarchal, then the, uh, the Mosaic law, and then in the New Testament era. Even on till today, Jesus has the power to help. We're trusting him to give us that power to help. Look there in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, where he's talking about our high priest that's entered into heaven itself, sitting at the right hand of God. He says that in verse, uh, let me just go ahead and read verse uh, 15 with verse 16. For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's a double negative, which is saying we do have a high priest that can be touched, but at all points tempered like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. Now, it says that we come boldly to the throne of grace, he's not saying arrogantly, you know, kind of cocky and, you know, kind of puffed up, but more the idea of confident, confidently. Let us therefore come boldly, confidently under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, the question is, do we have times of need? Yep. There are times that we have need. Sometimes the needs are very great. Sometimes they're just kind of more normal every day. But then sometimes we're in pretty difficult situations. Well, the Hebrew writer says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. To attain help from the one that has the capacity to help. Jesus cares. Jesus can also help. There are a lot of people that care. I mean, you get among brethren, there are a lot of things that brethren care about you and your welfare, but sometimes there are things that they just can't help. They don't have the power to help. But we can come to the one that does have the power to help, and that's Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Son of God. And so we can come boldly, confidently, to find grace to help in time of need. And Hebrews says in chapter 13, Let your conduct be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. You see, Jesus has the power to help. He demonstrated that power. In the story of the raising Lazarus from the dead, and the power that He manifested for uh, these two sisters and for the other Jews there, of Lazarus raising from the dead for the now here on earth, it's a promise. It's a guarantee that He's going to have the power to help us in the world to come. Also, help us now. With our problems here on planet earth. But then when we get to eternity. Because when we die we step into eternity. And the day of judgment that's coming. Yeah he's going to help us there. Because then he's going to be able to receive us eternally. And that of course is tremendous. That is glorious. Is the fact that we can have everlasting life. Through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah he can help both now. And in eternity. If we will turn to him. Well, the plan of salvation has been revealed in the scriptures. Jesus not only has the power to comfort and to to bless us with things that we stand in need of, but he has the special, unique power to deal with our biggest problem. And it's not, you know, it's not sicknesses and it's not even physical death. It's the great problem of sin. And Jesus can help us with that. If we'll just hear this good news of how Jesus Christ died on the cross, if we'd be willing to believe in him with all our heart. I mean, that's what Paul told, uh, told us there in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then if we'd be willing to repent, which God commands all men everywhere to do, be willing to make a confession to, not, yeah, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then to be baptized into Christ Jesus. Jesus, uh, Paul said there in Galatians chapter 3, for you, all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many as you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Well, that's how we get into Christ: is that we put Him on in baptism to enter into a relationship with Christ. Then we come up out of that water grave, grow and be faithful, newborn babe as newborn babe desires sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And then, of course, if we do err, we need to come back through repentance and prayer. That's God's plan of salvation. And if you're here and you need to obey the gospel, His grace can reach down and help you. He has that power. I don't have the power to grant forgiveness. But Jesus does. And if you'll just come to him in humble submission, in faith and obedience, you could, be, you could be saved even tonight. If you need help, you let us know. We'd be glad to assist you to obey the gospel. While together as we stand and as we are sing,